0: Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back in studio and we finally, after eight to ten weeks, maybe, are the mm-hmm. three of us are back in we're studio. In person. Yay. Yes. Jeremy's Jeremy. here. Jeremy's not on Bluetooth, but we do have a guest with us today that is on Bluetooth. That's right. We have Eliza, Eliza Huey. Huey. Thanks for joining hello. us today, Eliza. All the way from what where are you at again, Virginia, right? Yep. On the East Coast
1: here. So awesome you. She did have
0: a California number, I noticed. I got confused there for a second. I'm like, did we're you? calling her at seven o'clock in the morning. Oh
1: no, we're we're definitely we're transplant so we went from <laughs> okay. the from
0: the west coast to the east coast yeah we're here now do people still get known by their area code? Remember I, that? Well, that yeah. was a thing at some point, right? You just showed your age a little bit. Oh, <laughs> uh, <oops. laughs> Oh well. It's all right. Well, some of you um, might not know who Eliza is. And so she, I just wanted to introduce her. She's the director of counseling at McLean Bible Church in Virginia, and she oversees the care and counseling ministry there. Um, and in doing that, she also provides counseling training and equipping in order to help those in the church to care for one another. So obviously she's a perfect guest for Speak the Truth. And, and what our heart and mission is here in equipping the local church. Um, Eliza received her master's in counseling from the Biblical Theological Seminary and has advanced certification training from our partner, CCEF. We love them, yay. Mm-hmm. She've also um, authored a couple of books, Raising Teens in a Hypersexualized World and Raising Kids in a Screen-Saturated World. Obviously, that'd be a follow-up podcast where we talk about your books, but for today, we have you on to actually talk about EMDR therapy. And obviously, as a biblical counselor, counselor that therapy, you know, word and terminology can already kind of hit those little needles and saying, "Uh-oh, <laughs> what does this look like? You know, do we actually want to talk about it?" But there's so much about this that I think we just really don't know, and so I'm thankful that you're you're joining us today to really break that down and explain to us a little bit about what this looks like. Um obviously talk about it too from that biblical perspective and then just what does this look like from a local church and and all and for our biblical counselors to understand. And so Eliza, could you just really maybe explain to us what EMDR is.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I actually appreciate your, just the honesty that you, you give in introducing it because that's really how I came into exploring it myself. Like hearing the, 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 the acronym EMDR was, was something that I just, I wasn't familiar with. And it felt very much like something that was in the clinical world that has nothing to do with difficult counseling. Um, but I started hearing more and more about it. And that's really, my story into it that actually kind of I'll use that to kind of introduce what it is because as I was hearing about it I was hearing about it from people who were coming into my counseling room asking me saying hey I heard about this therapy can you tell me about it and just really feeling ill-equipped to answer that question of my counselees and so started doing a little bit of reading and, my, and I'll just be honest the first thought was like well this is weird um, and so mm-hmm. I just kind of looked at it as well I don't know what that is seems kind of weird But I kept getting asked, and not just from my counselees, but actually from my fellow colleagues in biblical counseling, just asking, like, have you heard of this? So through those questions, and specifically, one of my counselees who actually decided to get the therapy because of a trauma that she had been through. And seeing her progress really made me say, you know what, I need to actually give this more than just a couple Google searches. And that's really where I started kind of digging into it. And so just to kind of help you understand EMDR stands for, for anybody who is completely new to it, stands for eye movement, reprocessing and desensitization. And it is a therapy that is, it's a clinical therapy that is used mostly with people who deal with or are struggling with PTSD. And it really in the simplest way to describe it, it focuses on how memory is stored in the brain and how that impacts well-being and people's experience in life. And so um, it is a well-researched and um, evidence-based method of treating trauma um started first uh dr francine shapiro is the originator of that therapy and as weird as it kind of sounds when you start thinking about like eye movements and how does that actually help therapy it's even weirder how it was kind of brought into how she discovered it um i won't go into all of that today. you can read that online but she was a a um the forerunner in developing this model that was then researched specifically with uh vietnam vets who were really really struggling with ptsd and we're talking about people who were having a really difficult time integrating back into their world after you know what we would have called long ago um dealing with like shell shock and just extreme ptsd where flashbacks and uh nightmares and just sudden disturbances that were just interrupting their day-to-day life and that's really where the research really started to kind of found because we were able to kind of see how these severely traumatized people were responding positively to the treatment. So that's kind of just like, if you want to kind of see a history part of it. And as I mentioned, it's mostly used or it has been, I would say that's kind of changing a little bit, but it was originally mainly used for people dealing with PTSD. And, um, and it's a pretty well-known therapy in, I would say clinical settings. It's pretty, pretty well known, not so much in, in our biblical, circle. Uh, so it is gaining, um, some interest there.
2: So Eliza, if we were studying with you in a counseling session, uh, what, what does it look like? How does it work? Uh, why, why is it so effective?
1: Sure. Yeah. There's, oh, there's so many angles I could take to help explain that, but basically how does it work? It basically, it looks at how the brain stores memory, which is hard. To look at, mm-hmm. it's hard enough to to look at the brain and figure out how it function functions and works, and then add to that like how memory works is even more complex and somewhat mysterious. Um, but we're getting more and more research on how that um, how we can begin to see how the brain responds to being triggered in memory, and so that has helped a lot. Mm-hmm. But basically, to put it into maybe layman's terms. Mm-hmm. terms Um, I heard it described once and and this I think is a real real accurate description that EMDR connects like the here and now part of your brain, like where we are here and now, to the back then and there, the the Mm. then and there parts of the brain, especially as it relates to trauma. And it basically that it helps the brain say you're safe now you're here now it's over it kind of Mm -hmm. trauma basically puts us back in that moment so Mm -hmm. people who have dealt with trauma or are dealing with ptsd often feel like they're still living it and you probably as counselors have heard that like they'll describe like i can still feel the kind of a sock in my stomach when i think about that event or i can my heart rate starts to go up even just thinking about it or talking about it or you'll see somebody and the tears will just come yeah. even though the trauma is past. So EMDR works to kind of connect the here and now, like the, the, the truth about what's happening right now to that past event. If That kind of helps explain it in kind of the simplest way.
2: Yeah, that makes form. a lot of sense. At Metroplex Counseling, we have a, a counselor that does this too. And the methodology itself is is fascinating. Can you describe when you're in a session, what are you doing? What are some of the methods that EMDR employs?
1: Yeah, so EMDR will, when you begin to look at it, you'll begin to see like there's different hypotheses of why it's effective. Mm-hmm. And a few of them that I'll kind of mention are going to be a part of the EMDR process. Well, as you look at the word, EM, the eye movement. It's talking about the the movement of the eye. So one uh, hypothesis or one theory is that it's connected to what happens in REM sleep. And it depends on the research you look at as far as like how they will explain that. But in the reading that I've done and even in the studying that I've done with it is that there is something that happens when we sleep that allows us to function better when we wake up. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that REM sleep when you go into REM sleep, we all know, like if you've ever seen your children sleep, you see their eyes moving back and forth. Yes. And that REM sleep actually triggers something in the brain called the orienting response. And there's a whole lot we could talk about in that, but all you really need to know is the orienting response is where we process things, where we process our day. So praise God that he has designed us that in sleep, our brain does a whole lot of work and it processes our day. And when, um, one uh, psychologist, his name is Dr. Andrew Lees, and he's out in California, and he describes it as like a pruning process. That When you go into sleep, your brain kind of prunes away all the, the non-essential details of the happenings of the day. And a lot of those non-essentials are like the, the hyper aroused emotions that go with a situation, which is why sometimes when we are really stressed about something and we're very anxious and we feel emotionally very deep about a situation. And then we sleep and then the morning comes and that we have that experience of joy comes in the morning mm. and we don't feel as intensely impacted. It doesn't mean it's gone away. doesn't mean we're not so concerned about it, but we feel less emotionally distraught. And sometimes we're able to make better decisions. Well, a lot of times we are because that pruning has happened. So a theory of, um, how it's connected to REM sleep is that those eye movements trigger that part of the brain. And so, whether it's eye movements, and it doesn't necessarily have to be eye movements, it's this back and forth, rhythmic, sometimes tapping or listening to sounds, depending on your EMDR therapist, will trigger that side of the brain that allows the brain to process differently and kind of prune off from those traumatic memories, some of the hyper aroused emotions that are usually attached to them. So that's going to be a part of that's probably the most distinguishing part of EMDR is that rhythmic bilateral stimulation that mm. they, they call um, whatever kind of movement you're doing. And, and honestly, Jeremy, I love the fact that it's there because one of the things that I see and uh, had a dear mentor, uh, Rich greet, who's, who's trained me a lot in EMDR. And he, he says you know here's the thing about it is scripture actually does this Hmm. it's lost in translation but the psalms are full of rhythm Hmm. and the psalms are full of emotional distress Hmm. and so the scripture actually pairs those two in the original language beautifully wow um and i kind of scratch my head and go god what were you that? Hmm. there's something that we need to learn in that you know so
2: that's amazing um, yeah it is fascinating
1: Yeah. So there's something about the rhythm. And I even tell people, like, think about it when, you know, if you've had a child or if if you guys are parents, I think you all are parents. When I had my children as little babies, like instinctively, when your baby is upset and crying, you pick them up and you start tapping on their back. You start patting them Mm -hmm. or you're trying to get them to go to sleep. And there is a calming effect that comes about. Um, but so it, it's probably somewhat tied to the palms, but it's also, I think, tied to what's happening in your brain. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one theory. Another and, theory, oh, go ahead. And so, a so
2: just for those listeners that, that aren't familiar with this, you, you use the phrase bilateral stimulation. Can you just explain that just a little bit?
1: Sure. Bilateral stimulation is basically like a back and forth movement trying to stimulate both sides of the brain. Mm. So the side of the brain that is the fight, flight, or, or flee. Side of the brain, and the rest digest and process side of the brain. Mm. So the rest digest and process side of the brain is where the orienting response happens. And so in that bilateral stimulation, you're basically holding on to the past situation as far as like this is the trauma in that fight or flight. But you're stimulating or you're activating—maybe a better word—you're activating that orienting response from the from the other side of the b- brain. And so we have that by bi- bilateral stimulation. Excellent.
0: So when you, when you look at this type of counseling or therapy, how does this intertwine with, obviously, you know, most of our listeners are going to be biblical counselors. And so they really have a thought process of how this is played out from a scriptural standpoint and how they walk from point one to, you know, like from the initial sessions to, okay, now we're going to graduate this particular counselee. How would this play out on, um, I don't know if it's really talking about like, who's a good candidate for it. And so certain people have have experienced certain things. This would be a good methodology for that, or is it really good for everyone? And it's just um, put into like the session care plan for a biblical counselor. Like what would that look
1: like? Those are really good questions. I'm, So let me just start with the, like, how do we think about it as a biblical counselor, first of all, you know, before we even try to assess, like, who might be a Mm -hmm. good candidate for this. And one of the things I would say is EMDR, in the simplest way, is just applying good neuroscience to biblical counseling. And uh, the reason why I say that is if you look into EMDR as a therapist, you begin to see, or if you're looking at it just what it looks like in the therapy room from a clinical standpoint, there is always going to be a protocol. Mm -hmm. And in order for somebody to do EMDR, they need to follow this protocol. And in the secular world, the protocol is going to have, and it's the same in the, in as a biblical counselor, but, but there is some alteration. It's going to have you're going to look at a targeted, targeted issue. What is it that you feel you're stuck in? What is it that has just continues to give you trouble, even though you're really trying hard to work to apply God's truth to this? It just feels like the truth is in my head, but it doesn't connect to my heart and mm. I just feel stuck. And that can be really discouraging, especially if you've been in counseling for you know a, a good amount of time and you just feel like it just has a hold on me. Um, so you you identify what is this presenting issue that you really feel like has got you stuck, and then the, the protocol then goes into the negative, what they call the negative cognition, which is basically I call it the negative belief that, that you can't really get past. You know that that this is where you know um, you you're you're stuck in this story about what happened, and then they're going to ask for the positive cognition, and this is where we really take a turn as biblical counselors and we can grab hold of this Mm. methodology and say, the gospel fits here. Like Mm. it fits so well here because in the secular world, they're going to ask for what belief, what positive belief about yourself do you want to apply here? And um, that's where it's going to be different. If you go to a secular therapist, they're going to look for some kind of positive belief that you come up with about yourself that is from yourself. As a biblical counselor, we can take that and say, what belief about the gospel do you need to hold on to right now that's that's having a hard time, you know, sticking in mm. this situation? What truth about who you are in Christ do you need to hold on to in light of this situation? Or even what truth about who God says he is for you do you need in light of this traumatic situation? Mm. Um, And so that's where it becomes very uniquely, like, like I said, applying good neuroscience to biblical counseling. And so taking that, what the secular world would call the positive cognition and begin to work with them through the protocol has been incredibly powerful for people that I have seen uh, use this methodology. So if, if you're a person who feels kind of stuck in that and you can find a biblical counselor who's trained in that, it can, it has been very helpful for a lot of people.
2: That is so amazing to hear how you bring scripture into that um, that process. And when you're moving towards the gospel or the scriptures in terms of specific truths, what are some examples of some truths about God or self that you will typically uh, bring into that process?
1: Sure. Um, well, just even to start, when we think about EMDR and how, you know, we're, we're even as counselors kind of thinking like, how do I think about this? Like, Psalm one thirty nine verse fourteen talks about the complexities of our bodies and mm. that they're the Lord's handiwork, and that includes the brain. So I think that's important for us to to recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and there are many parts of the body that are are mysterious to us, but they are not to God. Um, But just other scriptures, as it relates to the process of it, when somebody is really struggling with it, I go most often to the identity verses of Mm. who we are in Christ and just holding on to this reality that God has given us a new identity. So that's a big piece of it, but also who God is, and I think that really comes into play as far as just knowing, like that God is our protector; He's our provider. Just knowing the names of God and being able to apply those to um, that person's positive belief. I get that a lot. Is as a person who does actually practice EMDR with people, um, it doesn't take much prodding for that person to come up with the scriptural truth that they really wish would Mm. actually stick in that moment. Um, And so that's that's another thing, Jeremy, is it is very in the secular world, they would call it client led. So um, Mm -hmm. you are looking for that person to begin to tell you their theology and, and you're going to walk with them in shaping that based on scripture. Um, And so I find it, yeah, I find it, it happens very naturally that, that believers really do want to believe the truth. We really want it to impact our life.
2: And and yeah. you, you've been able to see people who have struggled. They know the truth, um, they know what the bible says about their identity in christ but you're telling us that uh, when they're stuck and they're not that's really just a cognitive mindset they're not really believing it in their heart you're saying that emdr you that you have witnessed them be able to truly assimilate those truths into the depths of their soul
1: absolutely and wow i will tell you like when i first started my husband's been on me with this journey over the last several years of just uh, learning it so when i first dove into it i went into it as a 100% self-proclaimed skeptic of, like, I just need Mm. to be able to answer people's questions and figure out what's going on in there, in those kind of, you know, sessions. And do I need to warn people even, you know, of some concerns about this? And, you know, just conversations that I've had with my husband through, through this whole process, I remember when I began to see how it worked in the training, you have to engage in the, the work yourself. Mm. And, um, so going to the, I, like I said, I, I went into it and I thought the most integral way to do this is just get trained. Not that I'll ever use this, but that way I know the ins and outs from, you know, the people who are teaching people how, how to do this and having to actually, um, have that therapy done to me as a complete skeptic, um, found that I did notice that there was a clarity that did come through after the therapy. Now I wasn't dealing with any major trauma, but I I noticed it was like, it was basically like I had had a really good night's sleep on a situation. Mm. Uh, But I've had other, I've had my counselees explain it as, I've had so many metaphors, I wish I could just, and I probably should just compile the different metaphors people have used. Um, They've used the metaphors of like, feels like you know my computer was really dragging and I restarted and now I'm able to like, access all the things I need to access faster rather than like, where is that truth of scripture? It's like, mm. there it is. And it applies immediately. Um, I've had other people say, this was a great one. Uh, one lady said it was like, I was looking at my trauma through binoculars and everything that was way in the past felt so close up. And now it's like somebody turned the binoculars around. Mm. And if you've ever done that, like you can barely make out it like sends things so much further away and it doesn't erase the memory. It doesn't, it's not magic in that sense. It doesn't erase the memory, but it brings clarity in a way that allows you to have access to that truth that at one time was far away.
2: Mm. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you're teaching me today, I really, it's very exciting to hear that this particular therapeutic process and intervention can actually help people access uh, the beauties of the gospel at a deeper level. Um, That's just a beautiful thing. And I'm familiar with EMDR, but I, I wasn't really familiar with how you guys bring that in the scriptures into that process. So it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. It's, it's encouraging to, to see happen. And there are some parts of it, Jeremy, that the truth is, is that still after, you know, going through the training and actually practicing it myself with counselees, there are still probably regularly um, times where I say, I wish I understood how it works mm. exactly. Mm. Because there's a part of it that I just think there's that little skeptic that says, is this helping? But it's. It is. And while it's helping, I want to be faithful to, to whatever it is God is doing to bring that understanding of truth in a better, clearer way. With that said, it is by no means a quick fix. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that now everybody just needs three sessions of EMDR and they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be further from the truth um, because there's still work that continues to be needing to be done for the rest of our lives, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it allows them to, like I said, at the beginning, just recognize like the war is over and there are truths that are, that we can apply right here, right now, right in this moment that apply to that, that situation that happened to you in the past and you can cling to in the future. And that's where I've seen it be very effective for people. Mm.
0: So when you think about our local church uh, partners out there listening to this podcast, you know, how would you communicate? You know, how should believers, how should the ch- local church think about um, EMDR?
1: Yeah, I think just as I mentioned, it's it's a method that um, it isn't for everyone. And that kind of goes back to the question you had asked me, so I didn't answer that. Um, it isn't necessarily for everyone. Not everyone needs EMDR. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it is something that if somebody is dealing with significant trauma, PTSD, if they feel very And traditional counseling has helped, but you feel like you just stay in that pattern of those of that negative belief about who you are or kind of that detrimental thinking that isn't allowing you to move forward. Um, It could be something that you could explore. It doesn't necessarily mean it is for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I think there's wisdom in that in knowing that we take things in as counselors and say, what is going to be helpful for this person? And we should do that. In every single counseling session that we are in, looking at this person, they are not a cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter way of dealing with people. We need to know them. We need to really understand the complexities of their situation and move wisely into whatever it is that is going to be most needed for that situation, depending on the Holy Spirit and trusting But he is going to lead and and guide us to either have the conversations and move towards the scriptures or the homework that's going to be helpful. Or maybe consider looking at at other ways that, that God has given us to care for people and not necessarily as a person who was a skeptic, not necessarily be afraid. We should be cautious for sure. And we should weigh everything as it comes to us through what scripture says. Um, But I've had people ask me, is EMDR biblical? Mm. And I think the best way to answer that is, is it unbiblical? There's nothing in the practice of EMDR that would go against scripture. It's good. If anything, there's a lot of ways that it can tie very
2: well mm. with scripture. So I, I know that there's some counseling centers here in the DFW area. They're called Christian counseling centers and they do EMDR. But I also know that from the training, it's, it's very client centered. Uh, it's, it mm-hmm. doesn't really look like what you're talking about. What are some things, if people are going to pursue this kind of thing, what are, what's some counsel that you can give uh, our listeners on what to, what to be cautious about? What to look for? Uh, where you can slip into more of a person-centered approach? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what's some wisdom that you can offer us to that end?
0: Right, like is there great. a way for them to see a gospel-connected approach in it, like right. the way that you have in?
1: Yeah, great question. Here's what I would tell you: um, First, know that you have. A solid biblical counselor, mm. somebody who is already making those connections in what you've shared in your story. For my own uh, my own practice, if you will, I don't counsel a ton anymore as I'm serving more in McLean as um, implementing training and teaching as far as what biblical counseling looks like in the church. So my counseling load is very, very small. And what I have decided in that transition where I knew I wasn't going to be counseling as much was to mainly offer care for people who are dealing with trauma who may need EMDR because there aren't that many biblical counselors yet. I hope that that word yet stays Mm. as, you know, the the direction we're going. But there aren't that many biblical counselors yet, if you will, deviate from that standard protocol and, and instead say, this truth that you need doesn't come from yourself. It has to come from somewhere else. So knowing first and foremost that you have a solid biblical counselor, I think at that point is, going to be a, a real easy way to say okay this is a solid biblical counselor and they are trained in EMDR um, and I know there are some out there there's some fieldstone counseling has a couple that are trained in EMDR and solid biblical counselors you Shout guys
0: fieldstone. mentioned
1: yeah woo, woo, fieldstone. Um, <laughs> I like yep, love them yeah so it's, it's knowing your counselor first and knowing that they are going to have that foundation of understanding um, that the gospel is what motivates us to bring hope and healing and that it's so vitally connected to the care that we bring should be like your safest place what
2: I would say. It's great. That's yeah, good. That's
1: good.
0: Well, well, Eliza, thank you so much for just sharing all this with us and um, giving us just a better understanding of what it is. I think most of us can kind of come to rash judgments or thoughts about certain things without actually taking the time to do the research. And so, yeah. you know, obviously in a podcast of what, 20 minutes, we can't fully address this to the full capacity. And so um, hopefully, you know, th- this is just an opening conversation for all those who are listening uh, to speak the truth and a way to just kind of help you understand it a little bit more and just get you thinking about these types of things, realizing how other strong biblical counselors out there are using it and um, really what to kind of think through what it looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And what does this mean to us? And when people ask me questions, where do I even start to get that information? Is there anything we didn't ask you that you think would be helpful to our listeners?
1: You know, like you said, we could really talk much longer. There's a lot of other, um, hypothesis of why it works and different components about it that, that actually come into play in the full picture of what EMDR is. But I think more than anything, just recognizing like when you're dealing with trauma, trauma, the word trauma actually comes from the word that it means wound. Mm. The word trauma means wound. And when we look at that, that wound is not just external. That's a deep internal wound. And we as biblical counselors need to do all we can to attend to those wounds. And if there's protocols or theories or methodologies, whatever you want to call it out there that that are helpful and connect very with with synergy to the gospel, I think we should be willing to explore them um, as it was for me. I was willing to explore it as a skeptic and have begun to see how it has been beneficial many people. So well, I want, I, want,
2: I want to personally say to you, Eliza, I just am grateful for someone like you in the biblical counseling community. You may or may not realize it, but you're somewhat of a pioneer in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I totally respect someone who embraces a strong, solid biblical approach. Uh, but you had the courage, even in skepticism, to go out there and research. And when you found the research was not un- unbiblical and actually quite helpful, uh, you have brought this into a, a biblical counseling framework. And I just think it's brilliant. And thank you for having the the humility and the courage in doing that.
1: Oh, Jeremy, thank you so much. That's very encouraging. I, I really appreciate those words. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you could check out
0: more about Eliza at ElizaHuey.com. That's E-L-I-Z-A-H-U-I-E.com. And Eliza, we'd love to have you back to talk a little bit more about your books that you have out there on helping parents. Yeah, we I definitely love need to, to do some back. of that. Yeah. What are you saying, Michael? I need help. <laughs> no. Huh? No. No, our kids you said are pretty much get definitely We the need point to have of, her back. You well, said definitely. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't yeah. a personal response yeah, that was yeah, more, yeah. you know, to our <laughs> listeners, but yeah, with our uh, with our teenagers now, we have our our oldest will be 19 and then Jackson will be 14. Yeah. So we, these are definitely books we need to read and reread, huh?
1: Yeah. I would always love to have a conversation with you all. It'd be great to, have,
0: to come back. Awesome. Be great. Thank you, Leslie. Right. Thank you. Thanks for coming on Speak the Truth. Thank
1: you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.